So John 1 is a very heavy passage for us this morning. We're not going to deal with everything that you can deal with it in there. But we're going to look at the themes of word and light that are found in there. But Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us that words have fallen on hard times. Uh, at one time, when you gave someone your word, it meant something. So he goes on to say that our, our words are impoverished by advertisers who use them to make empty promises to consumers. The words in our newspaper and magazines that convey seemingly important information are quickly bundled up and discarded before we can read them all and this time of the year throw them in the fireplace. And of course, there's sheer number of words added to our vocabulary every year as Pastor Betty talked about permacrisis, the new word that one of the dictionaries highlighted, another dictionary highlighted gaslighting. But permacrisis, what Pastor Betty talked about, was a period of instability and insecurity. And that's what we're living in that time right now. But I also read about a, a preacher describe how he's trying to help a group of teenagers to understand some important teachings of Jesus. And because words have begun to lose power even in the church. <laughs> what do our words mean? What does the word of God mean to us anymore? So this is what that youth preacher experienced. He was talking about a teaching of Jesus. Then all of a sudden, the crowd, the youth group, began to get a little bit edgy and insecure or, or unstable. And one of the boys piped up, because there's always somebody who's going to pipe up in the youth group. He says, well, that's just Jesus' opinion. That's just Jesus' opinion. So we, might, we can't blame the young person, because look at the age in which we live in. Everybody's opinion counts. At least that's what everybody thinks. And even Jesus is now classified with what we say and what our word means. That's just Jesus' opinion. Just look around. Just read what comes through the internet, what comes through the newspapers, what comes through the politicians' mouth, what comes through churches. So the question we ask as we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us is, does Jesus' opinion mean anything to us anymore. John's gospel for Christmas Day says nothing about the nativity scenes. No shepherds, no virgin birth, no magi traveling from the Far East. John says nothing of the sentimentalism that we associate with celebrating Christmas in our churches and in our homes. Rather, the story that John gives to us focuses on what the difference the birth of Jesus makes for all of us. We read it, and I'll read it again in verses 12 to 13. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Every passage in John is about Jesus. Proper response to Jesus is to believe, and John doesn't relieve or show his purpose in writing until you get to chapter 20. So that those who see in the spirit of who the word became flesh is, believe as a response to that revelation that God gives to us. Because he helps us to see who he is. On the other hand, when we read Matthew's Gospels, it starts with a genealogy. And how many of us like reading genealogies? Matthew emphasizes the connection to Abraham, the blessing for all nations, all people, and then the connection to David, the royal king lineage. 
and the covenants and promises that God made to these two men. And he includes some women in the genealogy which was not heard of before. And some of those women come from the outsider groups, and they're included with the genealogy of Jesus. Then we go to Luke, and Luke builds a genealogy too, going back to Adam and the beginning of all humanity. Mark has no infant narrative at all, and neither does John. Instead, John celebrates the grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ. John wants us to answer the question, who is Jesus? A good question on Christmas Day morning, isn't it? Who is Jesus? The passage has been read on this day for, for centuries in the church. The church needs to be reminded of this truth that is here, that Christmas isn't just a holiday. It's a day that we bear witness to the one who permeates all of our life. The one whose grace upon grace, John says, works in and through our lives. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And it's also the backdrop is not the history of man, but it's eternity. Eternity is all through the book of John. It's not about being stuck on this temporal world, this time and space that we get to enjoy, we get to live in, we get to celebrate festivals and all of that. But he wants to remind us that there is an eternal concept to man and God's relationship. If we look at the Gospels, they place us on that horizontal dimension of life. Time, place, geography, genealogies. But when we look at John, he goes way, way, way back. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Way back in time. To make us aware that what we are celebrating is beyond ourselves. This Christmas morning, John tells us that Jesus is the word and the light from the beginning. Well, what does all this mean in an age of super, uh, super speeds in our cars and so on and trains and planes and social media and internet and movies and so on and so on? John believes about Jesus being the word of God from the beginning, being God incarnate, dwelt amongst them, pinching his tent amongst them. He believes that some of us believe it as well in the church and so on, but not everyone believes it because we live in a world and what that youth uttered with his lips that day in that class, well, that's just Jesus' opinion. What are we going to witness to them about? What do we, do we know for certain ourselves is the question that we need to ask on Christmas morning. But we know that for those who believe, they will become children of God. And not by blood or human descent, but born by the will of God for us. If we truly know Jesus, we know this, the difference between opinion and truth. Opinion will not set you free. The truth that John speaks about in his gospel, that will set you free. One of the last year's most ear-catching songs came from a Disney movie, Encanto or Enchanted. And the song was, we don't talk about Bruno anymore. Bruno was an old, or not old, well maybe, I'm probably around his age, I guess, reclusive relative that everybody knew he was around but nobody wanted to talk about. Is that what has become of Jesus? 
family gatherings, Christmas, don't mention Jesus. We know he's around somewhere, but we're not going to talk about him. It's like the old Bruno song coming into life in our world. God's word from the beginning was Christ. In the beginning was the word, writes John. A familiar place as readers of the Bible, for it echoes the sound of Genesis chapter 1. John was a good Jewish scholar, a good student of Jesus. He knew that Genesis 1 said, In the beginning was God created the heavens and the earth. God wants us to understand his book as the story of God and the world. And he's calling us, because he's echoing the first creation, he's calling us into that second creation. The new creation that begins in Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension that gives us hope. That's the Christmas message. The new creation that he's turning everything upside down as the world should be, not as it is right now. As our lives should be, not as our lives are right now. He comes and he works within us and he shows us his son. And when we get a glimpse of his son, we say, glory. Hallelujah, something's happened within my being that makes me praise the Lord and jump up and down, for he is my God. I have become a child of God. That's what Christmas is. My relationship with the God who has created all things. God wants us to know him and to make sure that we get it. He comes And he's the creator, and he steps into this created world. He's infinity, and he steps into our finite world. What a wonderful God we serve. No wonder we can sing, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. Altogether lovely, altogether worthy. He is God. Oh, come, let us adore him. Adore him. John talked about beholding his glory. It should bring back images of the tabernacle. He pitched his tent. Remember, there was the cloud, a pillar by day and a pillar of fire by night. And that was the glory of God. And the glory of God is when people see God in his fullness and they just stand in awe of who he is. When was the last time we stand amazed in the presence of Christ? And we couldn't move because of the heaviness of the glory of God amongst us moving through the church. Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 are not about the beginning of God being God, because God existed before the beginning that we know of, but it's the beginning of God's story with the created world, not the beginning of who God is and so on. We sang a beautiful song earlier on, Hark the Herald the Angels Sing, and I think that Charles Wesley, I haven't seen it written anywhere, but I believe he was soaking himself in John chapter 1. Hail, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. I think the story of Nicodemus was put into that phase right there. Powerful words, because words matter. Words matter. Not opinions but truth matters, and God's word is truth, and we are sanctified, according to John's gospel, by the truth of God. And God delights in humanity. See what Wesley wrote there? Pleased as man with men to dwell. What do you think he came here? Because he wasn't pleased with us? He came here because he loved us so much that he came into our world to redeem us. 
And as much as that new Apple movie called Spirited by Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds trying to get the unredeemable, rede unredeemable and redeem them, which is based on a, a Christmas Carol by Dickens, but with their twist, of course. Not a children's film, okay? <laughs> Just to say that. That God can take the unredeemable and redeem them. He can take the people that have gone through the mill and make them new again. Do we believe that, church? Do we believe that on this Christmas morning, Christmas morning that God can still do, do, do that in a society that is insecure, unstable, polarized, biting at each other's heels, and even some churches operating in that way, that God can still come and change everything according to his purpose? I do. I do. God makes the difference by coming to dwell with us. John also spends some more time on the significance of Christmas by sh shifting the attention. He doesn't talk about Jesus' birth, but he wants to talk about our birth. Not so much that Jesus came into the world, but John is interested, how about you? What's your response to the gospel? He's less interested in the birth of a babe at Bethlehem than he is in the birth of you and I as children of God. God longs for us to be his children. He's always speaking to us. And as one of my old teachers said, God speaks because he has spoken. That means that God is not silent. It's that our, our ears attuned to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now in this place, in this time. And God, as the word, the logos, is a rational principle word. It's a wisdom word. It's, it's, a, it's a philosophical concept of reasoning, that God is a logical person. And when God comes into our lives and the word becomes flesh and we enter into this experience of being born, the second birth, the born from above experience, what happens is that God returns us to our senses. He's not against reason, but he restores us to reasoning. Because one of the ideas of repentance that sometimes we leave out, we know it's a turnabout, you were going this way, you turn around, and now you go towards God. But it's much more than that in the, in the context of the original word. It's almost like a boxer who's been knocked out, and you've got to get some sifting salt, and you've got to put it to his nose so he comes to his senses again. And that's what our experience in God, when we come and repent before God, he brings us to our senses, and we begin to think. We begin to live. We begin to live our lives according to his ways. God is the first speaker, and his word matters. And his word is not an opinion. It is truth. God did not wave a magic wand, create magic dust, as my wife likes to say. And he didn't think about creation. He didn't say, oh, i got to think it into being. I think it into being, and because I think it into being, is it going to become a reality for me? And some people have swallowed that lie in the church as well. God just speaks. Because we can say the word became flesh. We can say the verb became flesh because it's an action word there. It's a principle. It's, it's logos. And we can say God's speech became flesh. I, mean, I can't comprehend how he does it all, but that's what took place in real time, in place in Bethlehem when Jesus was born, even though John doesn't talk about it. God's words still have power to give birth and transform lives. And God came into the world. He came into the world. He came to people that were his own, and they rejected him. So in other words, he came for the Jewish people that had the promises of Abraham, had the promises 
of David. And he went to them and they rejected it. But those who were not his people accepted him. But not everybody accepted him. So you have the power to reject Jesus. You have the will to reject him. That's in, in your power <laughs> to say. But what I want to get here is that God came into the world. And, 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 and that's an important lesson for us as a church. When we look at this passage, especially from a missional point of view, that it's not our it's not our responsibility to just open the church and expect people to come in. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. If God himself became flesh and dwelt among us and came into this world to could change us, to renew us, to make us holy as he is holy, then our job is to go into the world. We know they don't live like we live. We know they don't think what we think. And they know, we know that for them, Jesus' opinion doesn't matter. But you still go there. As Christ came into our world, a world that was living in sin and darkness and in death, and they had no idea of who Jesus was becoming before them, and they didn't matter, but he still came for them. It's an important concept for us to learn. We swallow the lie of Winston Churchill, build the buildings and the people will come. Well, that's not true in our day anymore. It's not true. John's Jesus is a cosmic Jesus. John's Jesus is a miracle of signs and wonders. John's Jesus is an I am Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. It's a matter of contrasts. There's death and there's life and there's light and there's darkness. And he has these contrasts and he's working through them as you go through the gospel. So God's word is important. It's truth and it matters, but God's light is also important. What does light do? Light is disruptive, isn't it? You know, like when you're sleeping and then your wife comes and puts the light switch on, or vice versa, you wake up because of the light, right? You're blinded by the light. So even when God in Christ Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and he was the light of the world, he began to shake things up in the world a bit. He was disruptive in what he did as he entered into the world of darkness. And we know that John says that the world of darkness did not overcome him, but he overcame the darkness world, and he, the darkness could not extinguish it. So it doesn't matter how much light we have in Christ, the world cannot defeat us. He makes that clear in his epistles, right? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But we don't stay away from the world, we go into the world with how little light we have, believing that God has already won the victory for us. Jesus is our victor. That's important to hear on Christmas morning, isn't it? We know how important lights are during the Christmas season. My wife puts up the lights, I don't. Because if I put them up, she'll say you didn't put it right. I do, I do help her. Carry them up. That's my job. Carry everything upstairs, pack it all, and bring it down to the basement. But we put lights on trees, and we cover our homes with lights. We cover the churches with lights. The businesses are full of lights. People go on bus tours to see all the lights that are in the neighborhood. We love light. But hopefully at Christmas, we don't just become adored with the lights. shows That the lights begin to tell us a different story, something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need light for our health. That's why we need vitamin D. We need the sun. And we can use a lot more sun in the upcoming weeks to help us along as we go for our walks. 
Even during Advent, we start with lighting one candle, then we light another candle, then we light another candle, and last night we lit the Christ candle. And every week, it's a symbol that Christ-like light is penetrating through us more and more and more and more. That he's bringing that wisdom, he's bringing that teaching, he's bringing that righteousness, he's bringing us to a place of new creation more fully than the first day that we believed. We're coming to that day of salvation. It symbolizes God. And praise God that we don't have to crawl our way out of darkness, out of dungy basements that have no light. That God himself came into those places in which we used to reside and we used to live. And he came and he gave us the light to light up our places of darkness. This is the same God who at the moment of creation said, let there be light. And there was light. Walking glory in the midst of darkness of darkness, and we are there with him now, walking in the midst of darknesses in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our countries, sometimes even within our family circles. We are the light that is walking in the darkness. Isaiah's word, those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? This is the wow of John's gospel, not the lights in our neighborhood. God moved into our neighborhood, and he provides the light for us to do the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No more clawing. Isn't that great? That means get rid of self-effort and begin to depend on the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Let Christ's light shine. I once read about a pastor in line with this frame of thought who told his congregation one Christmas that when you look at the lights at the Christmas tree, right, in addition to simply enjoy, so you can enjoy it, it's beautiful, beautiful tree, beautiful trees in our homes and so on, but we look at those lights, instead of just merely enjoying the beauty of the tree and the lights, remind ourselves how Jesus became the light in our lives. What surprised him was seven, several years after that sermon was preached, a woman in the parish told him how her children still remembered that teaching. That they went to the mother and said, Mom, look at the beautiful lights on the tree. Remember when the pastor told us that we should be thinking of Jesus now? How he lights our darkness. How he comes into our lives. How he came into our world and invited us to participate in his world. To live in his way to walk in his way, to walk in the truth. Isn't it amazing what people remember from a sermon that speaks to them, even children? Maybe it's something that we should do at home when we go home to our own homes and look at the light and say, Jesus, thank you for being the light of my life. I mean, the world we live in is a very confused world with wars and COVID and medical crises and health crises and so on and so on and so on. It's good to be reminded that we still have the one light that can extinguish the darkness. And his name is Jesus Christ for our families as well. Have we become so comfortable with John's gospel and his opening that it no longer shocks us? My prayer is that the gospel will shock you again. It will just grab you from inside and say, wow, God, it's so beautiful for me. It really moves me. It helps me to understand myself. It helps me to understand others. But most of all, it helps me to understand you. You brought me to my senses, God. 
your opinion, your son's opinion, it matters to me. Christmas, time to be generous, right? You've opened up your gifts and so on. But God's given us a gift at Christmas, right? We always say that the giving of gifts started with the Magi. They were the first ones to give gifts to Jesus. But the beginning of gifts started with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. For God so loved creating us that he gave us himself from the beginning of Genesis right to the end of Revelation. God is a God of generosity. Generosity begins not in humanity, not in wise men. Generosity begins in God. And when we are in God, we are generous people for his glory, for his honor. Isn't that great to know a generous God? Annette Brownlee shares a personal story. She says the following, I remember canoeing down the east branch of the Penobscot River, I think that's right, in Maine, when I was a young graduate student, unwisely trying to navigate class five rapids, for all those that are in canoeing and white river rapids and all that foamy stuff and all that dangerous stuff. The canoe overturned, so you can imagine what she's going through. I was swept down the white river, river, bumping from one rock to another. Though I was in no position to get out of the river by myself, I didn't cry for help. Even after I managed to grab onto the rock, as I was swept downriver, out of the corner of my eye, I saw another graduate student pounding down the path along the river, trying to catch up with me. He did. Jumped onto the rocks, reached down, grabbed my bruised arm, and dragged me out. And this is what the young man said. Why didn't you yell? See with the shock that happened there? Why do we enjoy clawing our way through darkness instead of asking God to help us? Why do we just enjoy going through life and are afraid or ashamed of what other people are going to think of us instead of that when we're in that danger of an overturned canoe and white river rapid waters that we need a cry for help? God wants us to cry for help. I think the young student friend had a point there. Why didn't you yell? It's one of the crises that we face as pastors in the church today. People not coming and yelling for help. If you want to scream at me, that's fine. I can take it. And I will try to help you. But you need to speak out for that help. You need to call out. I believe in this opening passage of John chapter 1 where the word became flesh. And he light came into our world. And he promises us to become his children. And grace upon grace. That God is saying, I hear your cry and I'm coming. And I'm coming. And he did come, and he's still with us by the Holy Spirit, and he is coming as God and man king in the future as well. Humanity resisting the light, the life that is before us. See, that was a revelation moment for Mrs. Brownlee there. She had to face that for herself. Why did I keep silent? Why didn't I speak? Church, on Christmas morning, as we celebrate the word and the light that existed from the beginning, I ask you to consider the contemporary experiences of darkness among yourself. And you probably say, I'm okay. 
And fine, not all of us are in dark, none of us are clawing our ways out of darkness, but some of us are, or we know some people who are, right? If it's not you, you know people who are trying to claw their way through the darkness that they find themselves in. Sickness, disease, marriage problems, discouragement, loneliness, financial pressure, we can go on and on, anxiety and like that. We need to intervene for them. We need to have ears to hear their cries as they cry out to us. Because I think God is telling the church, why don't you yell for help? I'm here. We're trying to find all different ways to, you know, share the gospel, be Christ's disciples and so on. I think one of the ways that we need to start, the number one thing we need to do is cry out for help. God, I can't get through this episode alone. I need you. If you read the Psalms, David's not afraid of crying out for help. He's pretty good at that. Because like all of us, he experiences the highs, he experiences the lows, and he experiences everything in between. But Jesus came as light to help us. And he longs to light up your darkness, whatever it is. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But it's in the darkness that the word of God whispers during this Christmas season, do not be afraid, I'm bringing you good news of joy, and God provides the light in the darkness. Contrary to what a lot of us talk about, about putting the fear of God into people, you can't do that. You can't do that. Because wherever passage you go, and we know a passage, Betty mentioned it a few weeks ago, God's representatives, his angels, they always say, don't be afraid. So what we need to do is tell people, don't be afraid and let the spirit come into their life and light up that darkness so that they may see who God truly is. Let us pray. Father, we acknowledge that words do matter. And it's not about opinions, but it's about the truth that will set us free. We thank you for John's way of explaining that Christmas is more than just horizontal geography, time, places, people, but it stretches way back to the God who is creator of all things. And through him, all things were created. And they were created, O Lord, for his pleasure. And he's created us in his image that we may enjoy relationship with him, that we can trust him, that we can walk with him, that we don't have to claw our way through darkness, but that if we just cry out, even if it's a whisper, help, he hears, and he begins to move in. And as you spoke to the early church and to the early followers of God through Abraham, through David, through the nation of Israel, we thank you, Lord, that during this Christmas season you still speak to us. Help us to respond, O oh Lord, in the way that you want us to respond with our whole lives. Take us, great light of the world, and may we shine Jesus wherever we go for his glory, for his honor, for his power, and for his blessing. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.